intention interior trucking companies if you are relying on facility insurance you could be overpaying reduce your insurance cost by 10000 or more per truck and good news we accept drivers with only 1 years of experience to learn more just send us text by typing insurance to 3653640714 thank you and welcome to another episode of the Dog on a Trucking Podcast. This week we have Mr. Mike Million of PMTC, Private Motor Truck Council. Mike has many opinions, and around minute 45, he expresses what's going on with the truck driver's reputation. So stick to the end to hear that. Um, we had to use Zoom due to some technical difficulties, so it is not quite the same format as normal in the uh, the visual but the audio is pretty darn good. So I hope you enjoy the show. Let's get on with it. Welcome to the Dog On It Trucking Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Harris, Safety Dog. And when it comes to trucking safety, the dog is on it. Show your appreciation for the podcast by leaving a thumbs up, a comment, a rating. It would help me so much raise the profile of this show and bring it and make it available to even more listeners. So thank you very much. I appreciate you and your time that that takes. Now, let's get on with the show. Hey, Mike, thanks for coming on to the, uh, the Doggone It Trucking Podcast. How are you? Good, Chris, uh, and thanks for having me. Glad to be on it. Well, it's uh, unusual times right now, so I'm uh, I'm happy to be uh, doing this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, it, how, how in the hell? Or sorry, oops, cut that out. How in the heck are you finding uh, COVID nineteen working from home? It's. Uh, it's different, that's for sure. I've, uh, you know, I'm used to working remotely. Our our office in in Melton, I probably went to it on average about once a week. Um, I've been there twice since the 13th of March. Um, but what but what's really different is I probably work from from home in my basement office on average once a week as well. In uh, my other office was whatever hotel room I was at in whichever city I was at as I was traveling around the country going to uh, industry events or consulting with governments on on rules and regulations. So I, mean, I got off a plane on the 13th of March uh, coming back from Winnipeg on ELD consultations and uh, I have not been in a plane since. And, and this time of year I'm, I'm used to traveling all over the place. So it's, it's different. As, as I've told everybody, Keeping busy. Um, everything's COVID nineteen related that we're dealing with the governments on a constant basis. Um, so the days are going quick because we're busy, but the weeks feel like months because I'm not me and probably many other people. I'm not used to sitting still in my in my basement for ten hours a day on phone calls and Zoom meetings and and uh, go to meetings and everything else. And you know we're we're all in the same boat when you when you never leave where you are. Days may go fast, but the uh, the weeks is a day drag. That's for sure. <laughs> well, I find the days go very fast, and the weeks go fast. And I often have to ask myself, what day of the week is this one? 
Yeah, well, I do agree with you there. I'm never sure what day of the week it is because they all seem to, they all feel like the same. Other than, other than, you know, I may drink more on Saturday at noon than I do on Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And and of course, you're referring to water you're drinking at noon, but. Yes, and coffee, and coffee, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Now, you know, you mentioned that you were just came back from Winnipeg. Uh, for an ELD meeting, is there anything that you can share about uh, ELDs coming? Um, well, Transport Canada did announce, let's say the 12th or 13th of March, and it kind of got lost in everything, I believe. Uh, but Transport Canada did announce that the uh, testing procedures are finally ready. So, Oh, good. They needed the testing procedures. So the Standards Council of Canada can now put out a, a, uh, a call for people that are interested in being the independent third-party certification body. They can now apply to Standards Council of Canada. And then the Standards Council of Canada will test them to ensure that they have everything that they need to be able to test an ELD. So the stage we are at right now is Standards Council of Canada is in the process of testing to be able to certify the independent third-party certification board, if you can follow that. Uh, it, it was set to probably be about May before we would have saw the first certified testing body on board. And once they were ready, then once it was announced um, who was available, then the ELD manufacturers would be able to submit their devices to that independent third party to test to be certified. So the way things were going before COVID hit, I think we were on pace to maybe see our first certified ELD in the market by say June or July of this year. And then they have to, everybody has to comply with it by June 12th of 2021. Um, I think that's, obviously going to be delayed. Transport Canada is not saying that. This is just my personal opinion, but I think that's obviously going to be delayed because all government's efforts right now are being focused on COVID-19 and what we do, and, and rightly so. They, that's the biggest priority everybody has right now. Um, so I personally think we're going to see a delay there. Uh, they're still saying they're going to meet the June 12, 2021 deadline. I think that's going to be difficult. I think we may have to see a uh, extension coming out the other end, but We'll, we'll have to wait and see how uh, how things shake out with COVID-19 is done. I think before COVID-19 hit, I, I was on record with saying I didn't think June 12th of 2021 was feasible. Um, so if that was my opinion before, it uh, it definitely hasn't changed. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I think that's a tough number to hit. But, I mean, I, I just jumped right into that, and I didn't give you the opportunity to uh, – tell us a little bit about yourself. How, you know, I know before I ask you about PMTC, I know that you're in charge of PMTC, but how did you get there? What, what's your background? Yeah. Um, I started out as a truck driver actually when I was 18 years old. So I grew up on a, on a beef farm in rural Southwestern Ontario. My whole family was farmers. And, uh, when I was 18 years old, um, my father decided he was going to sell the farm. Um, we talked about it first, but I was, I was a kid who grew up in a farm who had uh, hay fever and asthma. So I actually spent quite a bit of time um, in hospitals when I was a kid 
because I'd still want to go out and help do hay straw whatever else and then that would trigger my asthma and there we would go so uh, it was pretty obvious I wasn't going to be able to farm and remain like healthy and alive <laughs> so when, when dad sold the farm I went away to truck driving school there was a truck driving school around at the time called Myrtleers in Cambridge and I, uh, I went there I got my license and I spent three years for a local livestock hauler uh, so I stayed kind of in the farming background and, and drove for him for three years. Uh, then I went in the long haul for five years and hauled uh, refrigerated and general freight. Um, 48 states and six provinces that I ran long haul for. And uh, after doing that, that carrier that I was at uh, opened a driving school. And I actually went to work as a certified uh, driver trainer uh, for that school for two years. And uh, then the school moved couple hours away from where I was. So I stayed at our office in Exeter. The company was called Barry Transport. Stayed at our office in Exeter and I uh, worked in safety compliance uh, training, taught their orientation for three days of the week. And, uh, and then I went down to the school and worked the additional two days of the week down there. So I spent nine years with them. They went into uh, bankruptcy, unfortunately. And then I entered the private fleet industry. I uh, went to a fleet called the Hensel District Cooperative. And I spent 12 and a half years there uh, looking after safety, compliance, training, and maintenance for their fleet. Um, fleet grew from 40 trucks to 160 in the 12 and a half years I was there. Um, it's a fairly big agriculture cooperative. Uh, while I was there, I got involved with the PMTC on their board of directors. Um, Actually, my introduction to the PMTC, I entered us in the Fleet Safety Awards, uh, and we won it twice, and went to their conference, and that was our introduction, and then I joined as a member, and I was a member for eight years, um, was on the board of directors for three or four, and um, in 2015, Bruce Richards, well, I guess he announced he was retiring, the, the current president at that time, Bruce Richards, announced he was going to retire, and I put my name in the hat, and I became the president of this association in January 2015. So that's, uh, that's my, I guess that's a thorough background for you. That's from uh, beginning to end, or I guess not end, beginning to current. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty cool though. So PMTC, exactly what is it? I, I know it's Private Motor Truck Council, but what does it do? Yeah, so we, Private Motor Truck Council of Canada, so we are the only national association that represents private and dedicated fleets. So I know most of your listeners are probably educated but uh, and know the difference between a private and a for hire, but um, just to give it a quick summarization, a for hire fleet is somebody who hauls anything for anybody for money. Their sole main business is trucking. And a private fleet main business is something other than trucking. So a, uh, and I'll give a few examples, a home hardware, a Coca-Cola, Tim Hortons, uh, Trax Air, Labatt's, Molson Coors, um, Superior Propane, those, those types of companies. So their main business is something else, but they have a large fleet of trucks to get their product or service out to their end user, which is their customers. Um, so that's mainly who we represent is private and dedicated fleets. Uh, we've been around since 1977. And our main goal is, um, is two or three uh, we consult with governments on a regular basis, both federal and provincial, um, and try to ensure that rules are shaped and formed in a way that helps not only our members, but I also think what 
hopefully that helps the industry as a whole. Um, and our second biggest job, I think, would be keeping our members up to date on what is going on um, out in the industry. So keeping them educated. A lot of private fleets, different than a for hire fleet, a lot of private fleets will not have a full-fledged uh, safety department. Right? They're, they're, because they're not just a trucking company. Their safety manager may also be in the warehouse at times and look after distribution and other stuff. So because of that, I think a large part of our role with those private fleets is it's constantly making sure they have access to the information without having to look through you know, magazines, websites, whatever else. So we, we flip the information to them on a, on a constant basis through, uh, through emails and news briefs and that sort of thing. So I think that our Second goal is keeping them up to date on what's going on. Being involved in these stakeholder consultations helps as well because it allows us to know kind of what's happening before it happens, which allows us to keep our members up to date on what's going on. Uh, and then providing them with educational opportunities, so our conference seminars, uh, those types of things. So I, th I think well, there, so you, you consult or act as an industry voice to government because you yep. mentioned ELD. Yep. Um, so you're invited to sit at the uh, these meetings to give what impact uh, how ELDs are going to affect private fleets is that your role? Well, and it's not just. I mean, we consult on all sorts of rules and regulations, right? ELDs, we did mandatory entry level training, like trip inspections, any any rule and regulatory change that the government is is thinking of making. In a lot of cases, they will consult with industry associations. So so our goal is to find out what they plan to do uh, and then consult with them and try to tell them what we think. Okay, this is the pro to it. This is the con to it. Uh, so tell them how we think it's going to affect our members and how we think it's going to affect our industry and then try to guide them as they go. So, you know, this is a good idea, but we, we need to think about this. We need to change that. So depending on whatever topic you're on, in a lot of cases, the governments may not have the industry hands-on experience to know how it's really going to affect people without getting that input from industry uh, associations so they can tell them how this affects the front lines and, and how we think it should go and what should be changed. And what shouldn't be changed. Well, I, I think that's pretty cool. And um, I'm glad you gave us insight to the uh, what's happening with ELDs because, quite honestly, I was... Um, wondering what the heck is going on <laughs> because I haven't heard anything at all recently until uh, what you just said that the, the third party testing has been approved and now they're looking for testers I guess is my yeah. layman's language. Yeah so the testing procedures had to be finalized first and they finally were in March and then they announced that they were uh, ready for people to submit to become the independent third party but it kind of got lost. I think it was March 14th that came out. Well, we all know what was happening then. Like the NBA, NHL, all that, being a sports fan, all that stuff was, was being shut down on the 12th. And then on the 13th, governments are talking how much it's going to affect here. So when that announcement got thrown out, I, there was so much COVID stuff there. I think it just kind of got lost in the weeds. And, and to be honest, I think anybody whose priority was waiting for it, there was a lot of angst in the industry. When is this going to be ready? When can looking for devices that are going to be certified. Uh, everybody went from that to, uh, holy crap, now what do I do? And everybody's focus changed 100% to, to COVID and trying to put out fires. So it's, 
so yeah, I gave that, that announcement probably would have been a fairly big announcement. Um, and it was put out by truck news in today's trucking, but I don't think anybody really, really paid attention to it. Well, I didn't. And, um, you know, you mentioned two things there, uh, sports being a, a huge sports fan. Who's your uh, favorite team? Just out of curiosity, just so we can rub it in. Let me see. There's a poster up behind me there. I'm uh, <laughs> a big Toronto Maple Leafs fan. So um, I guess you can look at that two ways. As somebody said the other day, if you're if you're a lifelong Leafs fan, you're either the eternal optimist or you just learn to live with disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. And you were just mentioning uh, COVID. How has COVID affected uh, your members? It's all over the board, to be honest with you. <clears throat> Excuse me, Chris. Um, because our members are in such different um, array of businesses as private fleets, um, it's all over the board as, as to how it's affecting them. So as an example, Loblaws is a member of ours. Well, Loblaws is extremely busy uh, and is having a hard time keeping up because of the demand we're seeing at, at grocery stores. All the restaurants are closed down. Nobody can go out. Therefore, everybody needs more groceries at home. Everybody's eating at home. For some reason, everybody needed, you know, massive rolls of toilet paper at home that they couldn't keep them supplied with. But um, so members like that are, are actually having a hard time keeping up. And then we've got other members uh, who maybe work in the auto parts industry. Uh, moving cars or, or moving parts and that sort of thing. And they've had to lay off 80 to 90% of their workforce and their trucks are parked. So it, it all depends what you're doing. And, and then some of them are kind of just seen steady with slight declines. Like now I'll mention a home hardware. Okay. So they're allowed to stay open, but it's now all curbside shopping. Well, that takes away your impulse buy, right? So there's less product being purchased. So they're, they're still open and busy, but they're, they're not maybe not quite as busy as they were before. So it's some are ramping way up. Some are kind of saying steady with small drops and some are completely shuttered with everybody laid off. So it's, uh, it's, it, it's really all over the place. You know, another example, Prax air, well, they deliver medical gas, well, oxygen to hospitals. They're pretty busy right now. Right. So that's not the only thing, they're doing, but that's just an example. Blood services, pharmaceutical companies, they're, they're keeping busy, so it's it's all over the place. I think you just described the whole trucking industry. It really depends on um, what area you're servicing, whether you're busy, the same, or devastated. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's it's having an impact, that's for sure, and uh, it gives me the opportunity to talk to people like you because I'm not billing uh, at the moment, but uh, uh, which is fantastic in a lot of ways because I've had the opportunity to do some interviews and get to know people like yourself a heck of a lot better. I mean, yeah. you know, I've known you for years, but I don't know you. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. But yeah. talking about PMTC, what other services do you offer for your uh, members? Um. Yeah, I mean, one thing we do, and then I'll move into some of the stuff we do, but I guess another thing I didn't touch on a lot is we almost act like, I tell everybody as well, we're almost like a, uh, a consultant um, that you have on, on, on file that for your yearly fee, you have us at your beck and call whenever you need us. 
they pick up the phone, email us, whatever else. We're, we're almost like a consultant that you can use for, uh, for that yearly fee that you pay. And, and what things people will use us for a lot, examples I'll, I'll give. Let's say they're doing something in their operations. It's they're doing log books or duty books. Um, use that as an example. And they're not sure if they're legal or if they're breaking the law. Well, they're, they want to find out because they want to correct their behavior, but they're a little nervous on the MTO or phone an enforcement officer because their concern is, well, I'm going to call them, tell them who I am, and then I'm going to tell them this is what I'm doing, and if it is wrong, now they break the law, and I'm on the radar. Um, no, I don't think in most cases the MTO would do that. I think they would help you out so you can fix it, but I, we understand why there's concern there. So they're able to call us with these concerns or email us with these concerns, and then we're able to reach out to the MTO or Transport Canada on their behalf without getting their name involved, finding out the information for them and getting it back to them without them having to worry about um, anybody knowing who they are. So it's confidential, they come to us, we give them the correct information, or if we don't have it, we reach out to the people that have it. Um, so that that is a great service that our members use all the time because it, it helps them do what they want to do, and that's really what we want to do as well as an association. Right? As an association, all our members, uh, you, I know, I know you do uh, consulting. But what we're really all out there trying to do is trying to make sure everybody's doing the best they can, get the proper information, and improve themselves as being safe as they can. So I think that's the biggest service that uh, organizations like ours do. Um, consultants like uh, you, safety personnel, I, that's that's the biggest service I, I believe we provide is helping those who actually want to do things right and want to be helped and educating those who maybe don't know that they need to do the right thing and educating them as to why they need to do the right thing. So I think that is the biggest thing that I think we provide. Well, and the other part of it is uh, you are a lobby group and a resource for the government. And I know I think you're being a bit modest there because I know that you help prevent the government from making bad choices by having input on these committees. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I would, I would say at times we do. Yeah. You, uh, anybody who knows me, um, will know I'm blunt. <laughs> I say what I think, um, respectfully, but I say what I think. And, uh, I think that's a good thing. And, and if I'm in, in meetings and on behalf of our members, I think they're going down the wrong path. I will strongly and forcefully and respectfully tell them that I think they're going down the wrong path and you, you can't do this and explain to them why. And I, I think that's, I think associations have to do that. You have to, and as long as you do it right, I, to be honest, the government's, government's appreciate it. Governments want to hear that. Governments don't want you to sit in front of them and tell them, yeah, you're great, wonderful, keep going down the road you're going if it's not right. The governments, uh, the people that are in charge of the governments are also trying to do what they think are, are right to keep our roads safe. So they want that honest feedback and input. And if you feel strongly about something, um, you have to be willing to, to argue your points because not everybody in the room is going to agree with you. And you put 10 of us in a room to consult on a rule and regulation, you're not likely going to get all 10 of us to agree on it. <laughs> right? Yep. So stuff that is really important to you and your members, you have to stand up for and, and argue your points and have reasons for those points. So, so yeah, I, and that's to be honest, one of the cool things I like about my job. Um, 
when I was a driver, I was one of those people that read up on rules and regulations and kept myself educated and informed myself. And I always had lots to say, and I always wanted to get in a position, um, you know, where I could do it as a living and not have my wife telling me to quit telling her what to do. <laughs> <laughs> my wife said, go to work and give your opinion. You don't need to do that here all the time. <laughs> um, joking, but um, I, I am opinionated and I did want to get in a place at some point in time in my life where I had influence um, on governments to affect change and do things that are better for the industry. So I didn't know I was going to get here. Um, you never know where your path's going to take you. But from a young age, I, I did want to be in a position where I could affect change and, and get there and right place, right time, PMTC and, and our, the support of our members has, uh, has afforded me that opportunity. So. Well, I, for one, thank you for doing what you do, because I knew, know that you do a great job uh, helping uh, get the government to move in the ways that we as an industry uh, need it. And I know you're not successful 100% of the time, but your batting average is damn good. So I yeah. thank you. <clears throat> thank you. Um, and, you know, on that note, I want to say something, too, because there's a lot, there's a lot of misconceptions we all have from the outside. I know the misconceptions of, of government people when I was younger was, yeah, yeah, they work nine to five, they punch the clock, they go in, they go home. Um, they don't really care what they're, what they're putting into it. It's a paycheck and, and all that stuff. I have to tell you, there's, there's lots of good people working within the government and they care and they're not working nine to five. The uh, amount of phone calls and emails I get from, from government people after hours, um, early in the morning, um, they're doing the same as the rest of us are. They're working hard for the paychecks and they're doing it because they care about it. And the people that you work with at the ground level, and I think a lot of people don't realize this, if you've got the liberals or the PCs in power, the person at the top making the final decision may be different, but the people that are actually down there doing the legwork that you're doing, the consulting and the rules and regulations with, that then take it back and advise the, the ministers. A lot, they're the same people. A lot of them are the yeah. same people. Whether it's a liberal or a PC government, the people that are working hands-on at the MTO or Transport Canada, they're the same people. They're, but they're advised, they have different bosses that they're advising. Them. But the people you work with are, are the same, and, and they care and have bosses the same as we do, and they have the same frustrations and headaches or happy periods that we all do when we're trying to get something done that we want to do. Um, now, like COVID-19, um, it's hard to bring anything positive out of, out of this, but I think one of the positive things COVID-19 has brought out um, is it's really shown our leaders in our governments in Canada um, are, are really doing the right things. Um, they're working hard. They're making quick decisions. They're, they're proving when they have to and they can make quick decisions that they are. Um, Transport Canada, right out of the gate, set up daily conference calls with uh, ourselves and other industry stakeholders just to have conversations and talks about what was going on and us advise them of what they needed and us advise uh, the other way around. Um, Caroline Mulrooney of the MTO has had a call with us. She set up other calls. Like they are, they are at our... They're there for us. They're available to us. I've received phone calls from some of these people that I've just talked about on Sunday nights, on Friday nights, on Saturday afternoons. Um, 
they are there in the trenches doing what they can to help this industry, you know, to making quick decisions. And uh, they have been great to work with. Um, so I think the one positive that's come out of it is they've, uh, you know, they've, they've really built relationships with us all in this industry. And, and they're working hard to, uh, to get the industry what it needs in, in this time. And, uh, well, I'll, I'll give one, one opinion there that um, I, I didn't vote for our leaders, the ones who are leading us now. And I have a strong opinion before COVID hit about their job and their leadership. Uh, my opinion has totally changed both federally and provincially. I, I'm very, very proud of those people and the job that yeah. they are doing. It, it's been a difficult job, not one that they chose, and they've done one hell of a job getting us through this. I would agree. I, I, I generally yeah, don't know who I vote for because uh, I have to work with all levels of government. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what, one, one thing I will say, to your point, Chris, is before this happened, Look at the relationship between the federal liberals and the PC government in Ontario. I'll use that as a perfect example. Um, constantly at each other, disagreeing with each other. Since this has started, you cannot get uh, Doug Ford to say one negative thing about Justin Trudeau or Deputy Minister Freeland or any of them. And media people have tried, and he will just not do it. He constantly mm -hmm. thanks the work for doing it. That's the way you need to do it. I, I'm, I think it's very important that you have two parties um, going at each other, so you have differing ideas, and you know some people will miss some stuff, so you got to keep each other honest. But right now, any arguing that goes on needs to be behind the scenes because Canadians need to see the support and the, the comfort and leadership from their leaders. They don't want to see politics. And they're doing a good job of doing that. I'm sure they don't agree on everything, but when the cameras are on, they're agreeing with each other and they keep the other stuff behind the scenes. We don't have to look too far from our borders to see where that's not happening. And, well, uh, and we, yeah. we need to see that consistency in that leadership. Your people are going to react the way you portray. And if you're portraying chaos, there is going to be chaos. And they're doing a very good job getting the message out there and, and stay calm and stay cool. Well, the, yeah. the, the stuff that they've invoked has also worked. I read an article and, and I'll probably get the numbers wrong, but it was, I was shocked to see how many deaths per million the U.S. was having or is having because of COVID. And I believe it's 12 per million. And here in Canada, we were having four per million. Well, that's one heck of a difference. I don't, I don't think it's, it's that high. I think the number I saw, I think it was 0.14. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah, you look at the cases, right? We've got 35,000 cases right now, I guess. Now they're 10 times our population. If you times that by 10, 50, right? It's, it's, and I don't know, it's the problem you're running into with this stuff. And I, I don't want to get into criticizing. I think people are trying to do what they think is best, but there's no playbook for this. Right? No. And, the only playbook might be the, the Spanish flu of 1918. Um, and, and most governments hid it from everybody and it led to 50 million people. So I, I think the only playbook is uh, you can't hide it. You got to get the information out there uh, and then you have to try and keep people 
as part as much as you can until they get this figure. Yeah. Well, I want to change that we have the medical information out there, right? Yeah. I think all of our governments were fortunate to be in Canada at this time. But to bring it back to PMTC, I know you have um, one of the, the huge benefits of being a member that I'm aware of, and I don't qualify, uh, is the Young Leaders uh, group that you have going in the education. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the Young Leaders group, um, it's led by uh, Matt Richardson, by the, by the way, who I, uh, I know you are, are familiar with. He, yeah. uh, Richardson Transportation School, he's the director of the school. Um, anyway, Matt is our chair of that association. So to be a part of our Young Leaders group, you have to be under the age of 40. <clears throat> so I don't qualify. But you have to be under the age of 40. Um, and you have to be a member of our association. Um, $125 to become a part of the YLG if you're already a member. That money is segregated for the YLG to do what they want with. They have their own board. And the reason the Young Leaders Group was brought together is so we could get the younger generation more involved with our association, more involved with our industry, perhaps in a peer environment group that they felt more comfortable in having trouble getting them onto the main board and to come out to events. Um, and then when we put the board together, what we want them to do is, you know, we have trouble recruiting young people into this industry. We all know that. Not just truck drivers. We always talk about drivers, but anywhere. Drivers, mechanics, safety personnel, um, all those fields, dispatchers, we need help with. Um, and our young leaders group is a diverse cross-section of that. We've got industry suppliers in there. We've got uh, people that work at fleets. But what we need to know is, okay, you're a young person. You're in this industry. What do you like about it? What attracts it to you? And how do we need to get out there and, and attract 15, 16, 17, 18-year-olds to this industry? So the big reason for forming that group was to get like people together. Give us your ideas, get together what you think, brainstorm, and then they bring their ideas to us at a board level. We want to do this. We want to start attending job fairs. We want to make a video. We want to have an educational forum. We want to... So they bring all these ideas to us, and then we as a board look at it, look at the costs. As a main board, say yes or no, and then we send them back. And I, I'm not sure, I don't think we've ever said no to them. But what we wanted was we wanted them to tell us. Because what was going on for too long was we've always told them, okay, this is what a young person needs to do. You need to change to this way and change to that. Well, it's clearly not working. So what we need to figure out is how do we need to change so it works best and maybe both of us meld together and change a little bit. So that was the main reason for forming. I, I think it's worked fairly well. Well, um, I've, I've heard you're, real good comments from the participants on it, so I, I know it's working well. Sorry, what were you saying? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, there was one thing I forgot too. We also put a trial membership in about three years ago. So, because we had some young people come to us and who'd come to our conference and stuff and said, I'd like to get involved in your association, but my company doesn't want to spend the money to become a full member yet. But how do I get involved in this young leaders group? And, and they said, what about a trial membership where I could join to be a young leaders group paid just the 125 YLG fee without my company becoming a part of you. 
and then I get limited benefits. So I don't get full benefits because somebody who's paying full price would be a little upset. Um, but, you know, I get member-only pricing to attend events and all this other stuff. We do it for a year, and then they, if, if I like I can now go back to my company and say, well, this is what I've gained out of this association for a year. My year's up. I did it for 125 bucks. I want to stay part of this group. You now need to join. So it was a great idea. It was brought to us. Um, Kimberly Buyback brought it to us at the time. Um, so we used it. We got about eight, nine people to, to join as trial members that way in like a year, and five of them have got their companies to join. And I think that's what – so really, they want to come in and be part of it. You're giving them a discounted fee for 125 bucks, and then they're selling the organization to their company, not you. So I think it worked out good for, for both. Um, uh, I didn't know that was even available. Thank you. Yeah, well, it's not something that uh, we don't market it heavy. Um, it, it's just kind of done through word of mouth. So when somebody comes out and they're interested in it, that's, that's what we'll tell them. And maybe that's something we should change. Maybe we should market it more heavily, but, um, but, but it's actually, and Matt's done a good job too. And our young leaders group has grown quite a, quite a bit over the years. The driven to lead, I think you asked me about that as well. Um, the driven to lead is a four part educational program that is for everybody. So it's taught by Eagles. It's an experiential, uh, hands-on leadership course. I attended two of the four courses last year, and, and Jeremy from Eagles Flight does an amazing job teaching. It re really gets people engaged and, and working together. You're not, you're not sitting there for eight hours looking at a board. You're actually working on projects in groups. It's about team building and leadership skills. This is the second year we've run it. Um, the young leaders group came to us. It was one thing they were missing, so we We've got all this other stuff, but we really don't have a, a certif certificate educational experience that we can use, um, that we can then apply in our jobs and, and everything else. And it's not industry related, it's a leadership course. So they thought it would be good for the young leaders to help them learn to become better leaders. So the first year we had a lot of young leaders in it, 22 people total, this year we got 17 in it. There's a more diverse crowd. We've got young leaders, but we've also got older leaders. And I really think that's the way it should be. Um, because I said when I attended the course, this would be a great course for the young person who is coming up and learning underneath the supervisor and the supervisor to both attend the course. You get to know each other better and, and let your guard down and, uh, and learn how to work together. So it's, uh, we're halfway through the second program. So our first one was last year. Uh, it's four courses. We ran two in March, two in April. Uh, sorry, we were supposed to run two in April. We've now had to push it back to May 20th and 21st. Uh, we're monitoring COVID-19, obviously, and uh, you know, probably within the next couple of weeks, we'll make a decision as to uh, whether we can still run that on the 20th or 21st of May or whether we're going to have to push it back to uh, June or July. So. Uh, um Speaking of just COVID, and you just reminded me, I got invited to the fall PMTC golf tournament yesterday. So I'm, I'm hoping that we're back to normal by the fall. Yes. Uh, but the spring golf tournament, is it still proceeding? No, it got canceled, which is, which is why you uh, will now be getting an invite to the fall one. Normally, up until about three weeks ago, you probably were getting invites to the spring one. 
because um, it was supposed to be the 28th of May. Um, we decided just not to wait. Your, the way the economy is, um, orders around the city of Toronto to not have, have mass events. Even if we could have legally done it, I don't think it would have been a very responsible thing to do to try and have a golf tournament on the 28th of May, uh, the way things are. Um, and to move it into the summer, our, our thought was, you know what, we already have one scheduled for September. Uh, board's decision was, you know, instead of moving this into July, I think we're better just to cancel and move it into the fall. And uh, I think it was the right decision to do it. People aren't really thinking about going out and golfing at an industry event right now. I think a lot of things in their mind. Yeah, no, I, but as I say, I was invited because um, one of your members uh, that I golfed with last year at that event invited okay. the same foursome back. And we all said yes, because it was, it's a great event. Uh, do you remember when the dates are? Uh, the fall one is going to be September 29th, I think. I don't have the calendar in front of me right now. Sorry to put you on the spot there, but uh, let me see. Um, because, as I said, I put it in my calendar now. Um, it was, yes, the 29th. Hey, good. I guess that one right. All right. Yep. It is the 29th because I'm looking forward to it. I shake off this COVID stuff and get out with some people and have some fun again. Yeah, hopefully by then we'll be able to do that. It's going to be at Glen Cairn and Melton's good course. We had it there last fall, so uh, hopefully we can, we can do it again. Um, as you're probably aware, we, we had to move our conference uh, as well. Yep. Our conference was supposed to be June 10th to the 12th in Niagara Falls. Yeah, we just couldn't wait any longer. I think, it, I, I think it's pretty obvious that I think by then we may see may see things starting to open up a little bit, but I don't believe they're going to be opening it up and recommending 250 people get together in June. Um, uh, and, and to wait any longer, I think, would have been a mistake. So our, our board voted on that as well on the 7th of April, and it's now being moved to September 8th to 10th, which is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, right after Labor Day. Um, yep. Uh, in Niagara Falls, again, different hotel, just because the dates weren't available. Um, all our sponsors that had signed up have been given the option of either moving to the new date with us, um, or if they do not want to attend the new date, we're offering them all, uh, offering them all full refunds, even if they paid just because of the times and, and the date change, they might not be able to fit. Same with people that have registered. Uh, so far we had 56 sponsors already confirmed for our, uh, our event. Um, 36 people had uh, committed to having booths. So far we've heard back from 15 of our sponsors and they have all committed to coming with us. And the, the rest we haven't heard back from. I mean, we just sent that communication out uh, a week and a bit ago. Um, I'm going to guess a lot of people haven't been able to read the emails yet or talk to people that they need to talk to or figure out what their schedules are going to be. But, uh, and most of the people that register to attend are still coming. We're also opening it up for new registrations, new attendees, um, new sponsorships. Um, we've only got about 10 booth spots left, so we're hoping we'll be able to fill those. Um, and, you know, if the event get, ends up getting canceled because we still aren't clear of this in September, which I, I hope we are. And, you know, my, my hope is that the summer's over, we get through it, we're clear of this, 
and what a great way to kick off the fall would be in the unofficial start to the next year. Let's get everybody to, together at our conference with whatever new social new normal is, whatever our new guidelines are going to be, uh, but get together, celebrate what this industry has been able to come through. Cause I do believe we'll come through COVID. We've, this industry is resilient. It will come through. Um, it'd be great to get together in the fall, celebrate us surpassing the worst of COVID-19 and start to reopen our economy and, and get together and celebrate with each other and educate our, ourselves at the same time. So. Now, um, I assume uh, that I can put the links to those two events in the show notes below. You sure can. That so, would be uh, they will be in the show notes to the listeners. Just click on the links and you can go to either the golf tournament or the annual conference. Great. Appreciate that. Right. And uh, sponsors. You're, so you're still looking for some sponsors for the annual conference. Yeah, we still got room. Um, last year we sold out of sponsors, but we got a bit bigger venue this year. Last year we had uh, 40 exhibitors and, and 60 sponsors and, and we sold out well before the event. Um, like I said, this year we're sitting at 56 sponsors and 36 exhibitors. Um, I believe we've got room for, for about 45. So we've got spots left for about nine people that want to display display booths if they're, uh, if they're interested. Great. Anything else that you want to uh, impart or say before we call this uh, the end? Um, no, I, I just think I want to say in general what I, what I touched on before, you know, our, our – uh, you know, our thoughts are with everybody as we try to get through these unprecedented times. Um, we're all, I, I think more than ever, we're all soldiering on uh, day by day. We can't really plan a lot beyond that. Um, um, you know, I said things change minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day right now. And uh, soldier on one foot in front of the other. And, and we're all in, we're all in this together, as they say. And, uh, Know, reach back to us. I think one of the biggest things that that we've been able to do for our members through this um, contacts with with the governments is constantly get them information out there to help them get through what they're getting through, and our members are reaching back to us and helping us get through what we need to get through. So we're we're all working together, and I you know need to keep our heads up, keep going strong, and uh, we'll come out the other side of this, and and we'll be we'll be better for it. And one thing. You know, I, one, I mentioned before, something good comes out of everything. Um, and I do truly believe that. There's lots of negatives, but we got to look at the positives, too. Um, I think the one good thing that has come out of this is we in this industry have known our entire lives how important drivers are and how important the transportation industry is. And as somebody who used to be a driver, we always fought for that respect. Um, Everybody knows how important drivers are now. Every conference you hear from Trudeau to Doug Ford to south of the border, um, you know, Trump and his speeches, every politician at every federal and provincial level, almost at every press conference, thanks to truck drivers for what they're doing and thanks them for what they're going through. Um, it's it shone a light on drivers being denied access to restrooms and facilities because of COVID-19. Governments have worked together to try and ensure they get that access. Parking. These have been issues long before COVID come up, but now they're at the front, and I think it's getting the attention, and hopefully after COVID's over, it will remain to get the attention. 
they'll be given better access to chippers, receivers, and, and rest areas and everything else. But it's shone a light on everybody as to how important a truck driver is. And I think it's changed the public's perception of a driver and the politician's perception of a driver. When this is over, this might be the best recruiting opportunity this industry's ever seen. When I, when I was a kid growing up, I respected truck drivers. I wanted to be a driver. We all thought of truck drivers are heroes of the highway. That's kind of gone away from the younger people. We're not even thought of anymore. Everybody goes to university and wants to become working in an office. Nobody wants to do skilled trades anymore. Right? This may now put this in our kids' head from a younger age and their parents' heads. When this is over, we as an industry have to take advantage of that. We have to build off of what we had. This might be the best recruiting tool we've ever got. We gotta use this momentum and we have to make sure we keep our drivers in front of the uh, in front of the public when this is over and continue to show the light as to how important these men and women are and that you know and then change how how it's it's perceived going forward so i i want to thank all our drivers for everything that they've done uh, and what they're going to continue to do to put their lives on the line they have my respect and everybody else's respect um and it's time that they they got it it's well-earned respect and, and this is really giving them the respect they deserve it's a terrible way to get it I wish we didn't have to uh, get the respect this way, but that's an amazing positive we can take out of that. And uh, we thank them from the bottom of our hearts for what they're, for what they're doing. I totally agree. Thanks so much, Mike, for coming on the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I hope you loved the show as much as I did. Please leave us a like, a thumbs up, a review, a comment, a rating, if it is in your heart. Thank you so much. And I do really appreciate your time. And join us again next week for another exciting interview.